0: We ended yesterday in John chapter 1 in verse 18, verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John, hallelujah, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? They dispatched the officials, the authorities, to go and find out what's going on with this man how is he doing all of this preaching in the wilderness and he is eccentric he seems very odd the way he's dressed and the way he lives where did he come from And what is he up to why are people flocking to him he confessed and did not deny verse 20 of John chapter 1 but confessed I am not the Christ They had a belief in the Messiah, a coming Messiah. But in case they were wondering whether he professed to be the Messiah, because before John the Baptist and before the Lord Jesus, in his earthly life, there were imposters. There were different people leading insurrections, revolts. And the Jewish people were looking for deliverance because of the Roman rule. And if somebody seems to be charismatic and they seem to have a big following, perhaps they thought, what is this going to turn out into? Maybe we can rally behind a leader and this is what happened during the time of the Maccabees about 150, 60 years before this time when the foreign rulers dominated and defiled the temple and took a man an older man with the zeal of the Lord to rally his family to put a stop to this foreign power that outnumber them in every way. Maybe it can happen again now that Rome is oppressing us. He confessed and did not deny. He's in the wilderness. They're dispatching these people, priests and Levites from headquarters, from Jerusalem, saying, who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Apparently, they found a resemblance to this man's appearance and his mannerisms to that rugged prophet Elijah from centuries past, even though they hadn't seen Elijah, obviously, living in a different era. But they found some kind of similarity in the force. I said, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? In other words, you're saying you're not the Messiah, but are you the Messiah we're expecting? There was an An awareness that this man carried power. Who? A man with credentials. Where everyone in the temple will salute him and all the common people. A man with physical power. A soldier. Would also wield that kind of respect. And evoke that kind of fear from the common person. He was a man clothed with a leather belt, camel's hair, and eight locusts and wild honey. A single human being. But the Holy Spirit was using him mightily and it got their attention. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We have to give an answer to the people who sent us. Headquarters needs an answer. Who in the world are you? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That would have been a powerful reply because Isaiah was not only one of the major prophets but they would have esteemed him as the major prophet. And this man is quoting directly from the scriptures attributing what Isaiah said about some person coming in the distant future was going to be a voice, a lone voice, one crying where? In the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This wilderness was the physical terrain and location where John the Baptist was preaching. But it is also speaking of the spiritual climate, A total wilderness. That's what Israel was in the midst of. Spiritually, it was a wilderness. So much so that very few people were actually keeping an eye on what God said and using the scriptures to guide their expectation of what or who the Messiah would be. What he'd be like or who it would be. Simon or Simeon, the aged prophet, and Anna, the prophetess, they knew the Messiah when they saw him being guided by the Holy Spirit. Mary knew from the divine announcement from the angel from heaven. Joseph knew from the revelation in the dream that God gave him. The shepherds knew from the declaration they saw the angelic host the wise men knew from the revelation of God through the star not many people in a place that would have been probably one to two or two and a half million strong depending upon whether it was the festival time or not headquarters Jerusalem where David set up his rule, his seat of power. This is the city of the Almighty God. He has chosen this spot in all the earth, the land of Israel, and he focuses on Jerusalem. He said, That's what I desire. I want my name to be there. And in that very location, with all that God had revealed, Especially through the prophet Isaiah. Most of them missed it. But John the Baptist was sent to make straight the way of the Lord. It was a spiritual barrenness and wilderness. And he was truly one voice. The only one. Crying. Get your act together. He's coming. The one... We've been expecting albeit in the wrong way for most people. He's coming. Jesus is coming. The Mashiach is coming. The Lord is coming. Make straight the way. You can imagine they knew the scriptures these Pharisees. They knew them very well. They were teaching the scriptures. That was one of their main functions. To show the people what God had said in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, the Tanakh, all the Jewish writings. Instantly they would have known where Isaiah said that. And in what context? They would have known. They didn't have the chapter and verses like we have. They would have known somewhere... Two-thirds of the way in the book of Isaiah. We know it in chapter 40. Yes, God did say that. What did he say in Isaiah? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A wilderness. You want a highway there? Yes. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. The entire passage is not quoted by John, but they would have known the context. This is God saying through this voice, whoever he is, and John the Baptist is saying, I'm the one. I'm the one. Isaiah is talking about. I'm getting people ready. For who? The Mashiach. The Messiah. We'll see that the question would come up to Jesus Christ. Why then do the scriptures say that Elijah must come first? The Pharisees could have thought, if something's going on, some kind of revival, revolution, this man has this charisma and some spiritual power, all kinds of people are flocking to him in the wilderness. They're actually making the journey into no man's land to hear this man. Could it be that he may be heralding the Messiah? We sure could use the Messiah right now under this oppressive rule of Rome. They asked Jesus, why does the scripture say, why is it said that Elijah must come first? At that point, the Lord Jesus took center stage because he's the son of God. John the Baptist was receding to the background because he had fulfilled his purpose Jesus said uh, Elijah has come he's already come and they did to him whatever they wanted Malachi says Elijah is going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers the fathers to the children in Malachi chapter 4, and verse 5, God has recorded some 400 years before this actually happened. He predicted, he prophesied about John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. Now these two verses are covering a great span of time. Because the Lord Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world, but when he returns the second time it's going to be judgment. But within these two verses, you have the revelation of how God has prepared the first advent of Jesus Christ as well as the second advent. Before Jesus came, or before he embarked on his public ministry, somebody in the spirit of Elijah now, Malachi lived and wrote some 400 years before Jesus came. But Elijah goes back several centuries before Malachi. He already came. There was one prophet named Elijah that all of Israel knew. What does this mean? After Elijah lived and he was taken up into heaven in the fiery chariot, Is he coming back again? Jesus said, John the Baptist is the Elijah that God is referring to. He's coming in the spirit of Elijah. To do what? Prepare the way of the Lord. All of the friction and animosity and the crooked things in the families. John the Baptist came and told him, you've got to repent. He told the soldiers don't force people to give you money don't extort. He told other people to do this and that to repent basically. All classes of people you've got to repent. Your families are falling apart. Your hearts are not right. The Messiah is coming you don't want him to come see a mess do you? You can get ready to be blessed. Get yourselves right. In the spirit of Elijah Elijah And so it is today. Whoever is a true servant of God, whether man or woman, all the true servants of God all over the world, they will be telling people you've got to set things right before God. And don't go running expecting blessings and claiming things. Name it and claim it and quote scriptures and promises and kid yourself when your kids are rebelling against God. They're cursing God. Don't play church. Weep. And deal with your children. When you have chaos in your own heart, you're not living right, don't look at anything else. Don't be concerned with anything else because nothing matters if your soul goes to hell. Get your heart right with God. Better to be poor and righteous wealthy and wicked these are the type of things that John the Baptist called out these are the type of things that Elijah came and said to the whole nation get right with God you are idol worshippers you're greedy and you're murderous and adulterous you keep playing church coming to the temple it got to the point It's astounding that the land actually had hundreds of Satan worshippers flourishing. Nobody did anything about it. The king with his wicked wife Jezebel, Ahab and Jezebel, they all were part of this. What on earth has happened? God's nation and God's country, God's city, holy city, everybody is a Satan worshiper. Elijah had to stand up. God had to tell him, among the millions, you're not the only one. There are 7,000, but quite few compared to the millions in Israel. But the rest of them, serving the devil. God said, I'm going to put an end to it. He destroyed the prophets of the devil, Baal. God sent fire from heaven. Judgment came. They were executed. God used Elijah to bring the fear of God back and cleanse the place. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was conveying to them exactly what God thought, not what they thought that God thought a terrible state to be in when we think we know what God thinks when it's actually quite contrary to what he really thinks John the Baptist knew exactly what God thought that's why he spoke exactly what God said he's a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And under the anointing of the Holy Ghost he told the people you better get right. It's going to be game over. Do not play church. But rather God's coming to bless you. Prepare the way for it. Otherwise you're going to get stricken with a curse. Malachi 4, six. Isn't that the truth? In John's Gospel we see that the people who saw the light didn't want the light because their deeds were evil. See that actually. Explain more in the following chapters. One thing is clear in verse ten we read already. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They didn't want any part of the truth. A of them would have gotten used to the Pharisees and the Levites and all these people. Thankfully not every one of them but the majority of them at least. Maybe 95% of them. Where blind leaders leading the blind and both were falling into the ditch. Who is crying out? It's a veritable Ahab and Jezebel scenario all over again. Because they didn't want the light. There were people who were poor, many of them they heard. And there was a point in time where many priests believed in the Lord, but still that many does not constitute majority. That's why the nation received a curse. Because on the whole, they rejected the Lord Jesus. Especially the ones in power. So Elijah was the prophet in whose Power, and spirit, spiritual power that John the Baptist came in. Now, when they asked him, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. I'm not Elijah. But Jesus would say later, he is the Elijah. Not the Elijah who lived before, but in the spirit of Elijah has come to do what? Turn people back to do the right thing in relationships. Which basically means that they would be right with God. Because if we are right with God, then we'll be right with one another. Whoever hates his brother and claims to love God, he's a liar. So it comes full circle. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to the people sent us. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who are sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Apparently, they had some kind of distinction. Attributed to the Christ and the prophet. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But the one that's coming, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What he would say later. I baptize with water, for there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. In Luke's gospel, in verse 16, John the Baptist would say to all of them during this questioning period, and you see how the Gospels complement one another. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. I can't even touch his slippers. Do you realize? Who it is that's coming after me? I'm his messenger. I'm not even worthy to bend down and unloose his sandal strap. That's how holy he is. How powerful. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. We're in Luke 3, 16 and 17. And he will thoroughly clean out Just threshing floor. Have you ever cleaned a floor? It was so messy. In the process of moving things, you find garbage. And if there's construction going on, a lot of debris. What do you do? If you're able to, you have a shop vac. If there's a place where you can blow the stuff out, it's a powerful blast. You want that mess out of there. That's how God feels. When he sees people indulging in sin and evil, he wants to clear the place immediately. In a judgment time, he will do it permanently. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. No more time for evil activities. He'll put an end to it for those who love to do it. The dangerous thing. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. Look at the uh, picture words here in the description. Agriculture that they would be very familiar with. You know how you gather the wheat into the barn, but you get rid of the chaff. You burn it with unquenchable fire. You want to get the chaff out of there. It's a burden. It's cumbersome. So the Lord will say later, that tree that's just taking up the resources and still evil, no fruit, no fruit, still indulging in sin. God said, cut it down. Remember the servant said, one more year, one more year, just one more year. I know it's been a few years. Let's give it one more year. That's a limited time. The time to be holy is now. The time to make the paths of the Lord straight, that is preparing the way, is right now. Whatever God tells you, that you've got to stop, you must have a fierce passion to hate what God hates. Only then will you take drastic action. I've mentioned this story before about the the baby that they had a boa constrictor in the crib in the east the child grew with that snake and as the child grew one day he went upstairs after school to play with that same snake which had become very huge he didn't come down for dinner and the family wondered what happened They found him crushed to death by the same snake. He grew up with it. Now, do you think that if they would have known that that thing is going to kill my child, they would have coddled it and fed it milk and rats and whatever they do to grow that monster? They would have killed it. you Are going to try to kill my child? I'll kill you. No snake is going to be allowed here. But they were deceived. And so it is with people who practice sin. They're really deceived because that sin is killing them and will kill them finally and take them to hell. John said, there's someone coming from not worthy even to touch his sandal strap and unloose Now the location, these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So far in chapter 1, we've seen the divinity of Jesus Christ already. Very wonderfully described. And how people get into right relationship with God the Son, who is the light of the world. How people become born again. The people who receive Him, they will become the children of God. They'll have the authority and power and right to become the children of God. To those who believe in His name. Receive, believe. These are key words in reference to our part in anyone's part that would ever go to heaven, your relative, your friend, your co-worker, yourself, all of us. We must receive him, make room for him, and he will not come and be received. There will be no reception for Jesus in any human heart that has the devil sitting there on the throne. We have to decide, I don't want the devil anymore, I want Jesus. I don't trust the devil. I was deceived. But I know the whole thing is a lie. Everything the devil promises me. Money and pleasure and power. So many different people getting it in so many different ways. All of them with a noose around their neck. Dragged down to hell. Deceived by that. Wicked, cruel, taskmaster, Satan. Our eyes are open. We hear the word of God. Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners like me. I don't want the devil. I don't want the devil. I don't want sin. I want life. I want Jesus. That's how you receive him. Not saying, I'll come to church. Yeah, I'll think about it. What are they having? Thank you, cause... I really appreciate you. You know, that's one of the things I love about you. You always look out for me. Thank you. And by the way, while you're at it, would you say a prayer for me? A prayer for you? When you define God to His face, you won't worship the Lord. You could care less about coming to the house of God when you have the ability. You don't care a thing about God's word you think his judgments are jokes and you want prayer? Of course. Prayer for what? That I do well in college and my chickens hatch all the eggs this year and I can win a trip in that sweepstakes. You know, I know you know God. Help me out. What would John the Baptist say? What would Paul the Apostle say? What would the Son of God say? If we say anything different and we call ourselves Christians you coddle and pamper the very people that are closest to you who defy God to his face to his face with a fist they despise God you're worried about did you make it to school did you get the grade how's the job going how's the kids how's the kids when they're going to hell Who cares about those things if your soul is going to hell and you're dragging people with you? My daughter's getting good grades in college and she's doing this and that and they're learning to be on their own. To hell with all of that. That's what God would say. If a person spits at the gracious offer of eternal life because God cares that we don't perish May we have that burning passion within our hearts to see through the foolishness of Satan working through people trying to derail us from the path, Get us messed up. We have to have compassion. We must never be gullible in the name of love. The world talks about love all day long. It's a farce. Because there's no truth to it. We need to be truthful and honest and say, Lord, why did you send John the Baptist like this? Why couldn't he have been someone like Confucius walking with a robe and taking tiny steps and gentle some Hindu sage, quote unquote, telling everyone, don't step on the roach, don't kill the rat, don't kill the cow. You never know, you may be hurting God. Let the people starve. After all, they made their bed, let them die in it. Probably they sinned in a previous life. Yes, we can be impostors and go to hell with everyone or we can tell the truth. You have a moral responsibility to surrender to Jesus Christ. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Wouldn't you say that? It's not some fanatical preaching. If you knew that that next injection of that drug means goodbye to your daughter, to your son, to your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever they have today, wouldn't anyone who had any inkling that the future of that person is going to be gone, if they knew that one last attempt is going to kill them, wouldn't you grab that yank it out of their hands and slap them and do whatever you have to do to prevent them from killing themselves And why is it when it comes to spiritual death which is far worse infinitely worse to go to hell burning in torment that we have to be all of a sudden lovey-dovey we have to be very careful walk on eggshells around that person they'll tear you up be careful Who's in charge? Who has the power? God or the devil? And who are we? God's messengers? Afraid of the devil? One thing we don't want, at least now, is have blood on our heads. It's a very real possibility for many people who know the whole truth but they're worried about, did you make it to the bus? Did you buy your books for school? How's the job? Yay, you got a promotion. Let's celebrate. And I like the new car you got. Uh, how'd you get the deal? And they're on the way to help. We have to conversate we have to interact but we must have more fear more godly fear and fear for other people's souls especially our loved ones than a person on the street would fear for the death of a crony of a peer on the street even a stranger will go and grab that needle if they knew that needle is going to kill that person That last inhalation is going to fry their brain. If they try to cross the street, as I've seen people led by the devil, rush hour traffic, trying to cross four lanes, dodge the cars, somebody would know that last time is going to be the last time wouldn't they stay there and persuade that person as best as they could even a stranger a person doesn't even know God listen don't be a fool you're going to die don't do it and try to reason do you know if you live we can go and do this and that do yourself a favor Don't write your own death sentence. So many ways. When it comes to physical life, people get alert when they know that life is hanging by a thread. We can't afford to play games now or take chances. This is why John the Baptist preached what he did. He knew. It's not just the quality of life that he's coming to affect by telling people, you know, your life will be better. I'm sure you have more friends if you turn to the Lord and make straight his paths. I'm sure you feel better. He said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the rat that's coming? This is what he said. And I'm sure he didn't say it softly. As many people who call themselves believers would get angry if somebody ever yelled at them and preached. they say, don't preach at me. I can hear you. Oh, he knew they could hear him. But the Spirit of God was speaking to shake them out of their death sleep. And there was wrath. There was wrath. If we only took the word as it is and say do I see me in this? Which category do I belong to? Do I identify with the soldiers? With the thieves? With the Pharisees? The church going people? Or do I identify with John the Baptist all by himself? But not by himself. God was with her. Had occasion to read some of the revivals in John Wesley. He had stones thrown at him in England. One of the early Methodists was stoned to death. So it's not in the first century. It's a few hundred years ago. All these things are happening today too. Why? Because people are telling people to repent. And the latter group gets enraged. But the Spirit of God intervenes also. Many times, as Wesley experienced, very people who mobbed him to kill him. They pulled him by the hair, they yanked him. And they said, Knock his brains out. Quite literally, that's what they said in the 1700s. Kill him. And with the courage of the Holy Spirit, he would look at the leader in the eye of hundreds of people sometimes. One man. And he'll say, May I speak? and begin to pray. All of a sudden, one by one, they'll say, we'll defend you with our lives. Clear the way. Let the man preach. Miracle. But it cost. We need to be willing to know what it costs to follow Jesus and to speak the truth. Because of fear of God, love of God, and love for people... Continuing with the scriptures, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, verse 29, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I'm speaking about. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him I did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water who is that? God the Father God himself the Trinity Father, Son and Holy Spirit he who sent me to baptize with water said to me upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit that incarnation the word becoming flesh John didn't know who that was he knew all about the Son of God in glory Father, Son and Holy Spirit John himself as we mentioned was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb but he didn't know who this human being that would be the God man was that God revealed it to him and he said when you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him that's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit he's the one that has all the power that's the Son of God and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God God John the Baptist's mission effectively was over. Aside from pointing out the local ruler's adulterous affair. In a brief time his ministry was over. He did well. He was commended by the Lord God himself, Jesus Christ. And he went to heaven after he Died for the truth's sake. But his mission was to tell people get your act right. The Lord is coming to his temple. And not only telling them about judgment and justice, but he would tell them about the real joy that comes from the Son of God who will give the gift the promise of the Father he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit God's message is never just doom his heart is to save people but he must tell everyone and so must we it's a dangerous thing to put off salvation because you don't know if you get another opportunity you must surrender to the Lord he's almighty God he loves you he wants to save you again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked he said behold the Lamb of God second time he says this the two disciples heard him speak. Isn't this the same John that said I must decrease but he must increase? He knew. The people that are following him they're going to follow Jesus now. And John couldn't have been happier. Because he knew this is God in the flesh. I want everybody to follow him. I'm just someone who has brought the people in, getting them ready so they can follow the source of life. Hallelujah. In ministry, every apostle, true apostle, every prophet, true prophet of God, Every evangelist, genuine evangelist from God, holy people, every pastor, genuine shepherds from God, every teacher sent from God, will all work together to build up the body of Christ. And when one succeeds, the others will be overjoyed and genuinely thank God, not just say nice words, giving lip service, but burning with jealousy in the heart but rejoicing because all those gifts to the church and every believer who may not be among the fivefold ministry offices every believer has a job to edify one another help each other to follow Jesus better And to encourage one another. And warn one another. When Satan has come into the camp. Watch out. Where repentance is necessary. We have to be our brother's keeper and say. You have to repent. Because your soul is in jeopardy. But there will be great joy. Whenever a brother or sister. Is victorious and successful in winning souls, in turning other Christians away from sin, from a multitude of sins, from the error of their ways, save them from death, as Holy Spirit recorded in James chapter five. But what do you see today? The person that can Sing really good, and sometimes this monotonous kind of repetition, no originality, of following whatever's out there. The same kind of worship music seems to be a popular. Time-based, repetitive musical approach and the tragedy is many many times we have people actually testify they've gone to some of these huge concerts I would mention the name of the group everybody would know it these groups they've gotten excited emotional they raised their hands they cried We're still living in rebellion. Not just one or two. Quite a good number of them. Well, how do you know, somebody says. Look at their lives. Is Jesus really first? And we know well from the Bible studies what it means when Jesus is really first. And they're not there. But the kind of ministry that should excite all true believers, no matter who does it, and what office they're called into, or what gifts they've been given, the kind of ministry that should thrill our hearts is when the Spirit of God is winning souls through a brother or sister. Oh, hallelujah. When the Spirit of God is working through a brother's sister to warn the others as the brother's keeper, to be careful that you don't slip down into hell because you're starting to presume upon God's grace it's a dangerous thing. You have to abide in Him if you're going to live with Him forever. You can't live with Him in heaven if you don't live with Him here. And you can't live with Him here if you're living with the devil can engage in sin, get the message out. And when you see brothers and sisters getting the right message out out of deep compassion with no compromise and the effect especially is there, people are saying, why didn't I hear this in other places I went to? I've been sitting in this rehab, Christian rehab for months I've never had conviction like I have now when you're speaking. I've been going to church all my life. I've never been rattled deep inside from my self-centered living as when I heard you tell me the word straight. We'll rejoice when we see this kind of Holy Ghost activity. Do what? Prepare the way of the Lord because He's coming the second time and He's coming very, very soon the urgency will capture our hearts this is how it is when that spirit of God comes upon a a Christian, a believer then they start crying out to God, Lord Help people to repent, Lord. I have repented, Lord. No one has a right to pray for revival for other people when they haven't been revived themselves by repentance. It never fails. Revival only comes when there's genuine, thorough repentance. And that's why the message must always include a clarion call to total repentance before the living God. All the movements and the billboards and the social media push for church activities and evangelical activities and stadiums full cannot change cities. Because the Holy Spirit will not back any movement, any church, any event where the leaders have truly not yielded their bodies as living sacrifices before God. Who have truly not said to the Lord, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. As one famous Christian said centuries ago. Centuries ago. Lord give me this region of souls for your glory Lord or I don't want to live that's what real revival is the question is John the Baptist risked his life to preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth you can be sure he preached the same thing to relative and stranger alike question is will you do the same thing you have that burden passion Jesus is coming the second time very soon I've got to get the people ready after I get myself ready verse 37 the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them what do you seek They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher. Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. Don't fall for the lies of Satan. When you tell somebody to come to church or give them the gospel, you do your level best to get them into the presence of God, and they say, oh, "I'm seeking God. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm." But if God is moving somewhere, and the person doesn't want to come, you see, it's not that they can't come because of something out of their control, truly, but there's a decision that I will not come. And we kid ourselves and say, "Well," they're okay if God is moving powerfully. And what do we say if they have all kinds of questions and they say, well, I don't know this and that and that church is like this and I've had this experience. wouldn't we be right to say, come and see? Because if they really are seeking Jesus, they will come and see. This goes for any experience God has for any of us. When the Spirit of God is saying, come closer to me, I want you to set aside this time in the evening or in the morning or I want you to do this, practice the presence of God like we heard. Cultivate that presence of God. Know that God is with us. God is with me. Therefore, not only am I thankful that He is my protector, my provider, but He's also watching over me to see if I Obey Him. I'm under the all-seeing eyes of Almighty God. It'll so change my behavior. And walk like Jesus. When the Lord gives us these things, the one who really means business with God will make the effort. And that's the point. Jesus said, what do you seek? He knew exactly what they wanted. He knows the hearts of all men. But He wanted to let them know. You really Want to know about me? They said, where are you staying? We do. Okay. Even then, he didn't say, wonderful. He said, come. Come a little closer. Come see. How many people have thrown away the very moment God has tremendous blessings. Others have received it, but they missed it because they did not know the time of their visitation. They thought I can do it any time. I get the same thing with you, God, where I'm at. How arrogant and foolish. When God is moving to tell anyone who invites us for anything, even prayer. That God has put this on my heart and I I can't do anything. I have to pray for arrival. Will you join me? I do my own revival prayer. Thank you very much. Totally blinded. And the qualifying factor here is when you know that it is God, not just some kind of superficial impulse. We're to be discerning. But when we know that it is God, we need to be all in. He said, come and see. They had to leave John the Baptist. Now, Was John the Baptist bad? God is saying, in effect, when he says, come and see, come up higher. I have a lot more for you than you can even imagine, but you've got to come. They would have said, well, John, we know he's the Lamb of God. We just don't know anything else about him. Plus, we like being with you. You've been so good. You just completely changed everything. You brought us to really understand we need repentance. We never heard that before. And he said, there's somebody mightier. Now, God is working here. They came and saw where he was staying And remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. You see in other translations about 4 p.m. When they went with him to their place. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Look at the excitement. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, Brother, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Never give up. Sometimes, when you keep asking someone to come and you keep praying, and you pray, Lord, remove these scales from their eyes, Lord. They do not know what they're missing. And the question is not that they'll have some extra perks in their life, you know, it'll be a little more glamorous. No. They're actually going to miss the move of God. And when God is moving and we don't move with Him, we'll be left behind in darkness and confusion. He first found his own brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, He said, you are Simon the son of Jonah, you shall be called Stephus. It's the first day. He just came on the scene. And already a prophecy. Already an activation. Imagine the sign that said, Andrew... I know John the Baptist was saying a lot of things about this man, but are you telling me that he's better than John the Baptist? There's no preacher like John. I mean, everybody's coming to him in the wilderness. We're privileged to be real close to him. I'll come tomorrow, maybe. He would have missed the prophecy that God had for him. Isn't that a great regret? if you ever had this happen to you, God said to do something, something so small. And we never knew the tremendous blessing he had in store. We thought it would be one thing. And we relegated that opportunity to a common activity we can take up any time. But this was God, the Holy Spirit, saying, come. And we missed tremendous blessing we should change our minds and say Lord may I never be like that again ever again in my life oh Lord help me to hear your voice when you say come Lord I'm going to run because the one who's calling me is the most high God and when God calls us he always has gifts always blessings as we finish chapter 1, we see again the divinity of Jesus Christ. Now, the explanation was given for the reader, but now these first disciples get to see the divine nature of this Jesus of Nazareth. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Or, follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter Philip found Nathaniel it was too good to keep to himself to themselves that's what happens when the spirit of God steers us we can't help but tell other people come and see Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. They were convinced and Nathanael said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? I believe all about Moses and what the prophets wrote but where did you say? You found the Messiah? Nazareth? Philip said to him, just what Jesus said, come and see. How beautiful. The Spirit of God directs to say just what God wants us to say, no more, no less, with faith. In our case, we have access to so much of the treasure of God's word concerning the operation of God and what we should do. Which includes spending the time we have in real prayer, battling for people's souls. When we say, come and see, we know the devil is going to put up a big fight. But through prayer, God can change hearts. Philip didn't argue with him. He didn't say, well, why are you picking on Nazareth with Daniel? We'll get into a long discussion about how Nazareth is not as bad as Bethsaida and Capernaum, and he said, "Just come, you see for yourself." Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit." Of course, it's a revelation. Of Jesus's divinity. But it's a commendation. That we should receive also like Nathaniel did. A person who has no deception. No lie. A person who is careful. Not to be deceived and careful not to carry deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And apparently they were not nearby, otherwise it would not have astonished Nathanael. He was beyond normal human range of vision. And here's Jesus saying exactly where he was when Philip talked to him and called him. when we see supernatural activity like that, prophecy, when the word of God is preached, that just uncovers the deepest parts of our hearts. And God gives supernatural direction and the knowledge that could not be ascertained or attained by human thinking when we know this has got to be God, when miraculous healings take place, we'll be held with a greater accountability to come and see. Look at Nathaniel. It is a you know, that's fascinating. Yes. I heard somebody in uh, the nearby cities there not too far from Nazareth, and they were doing the same thing. They were calling out people that were far away, and it was fascinating. Isn't it wonderful? And then they knew. There's no more argument. I need him. I need to be near him. He's the son of God. Nathaniel answered and mm-hmm. said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I believe Philip now this is what God does but how is it that people who know that there is something unique tremendously supernatural happening and come up with these statements that they think are clever to brush aside anymore beckoning to come as if that's going to keep them comfortable and self-sufficient. It's a wonderful thing for us, no matter how old we are, where we are from, to resolve certain things. Among them, Lord, whatever you say, whenever you say, however you say, when I know it's you working. I'm going to move Lord with you. That'll turn turn and change our destiny around. All of the wandering in the wilderness. All of the hard rowing in the midst of the sea. When we surrender to Jesus and trust him and are yielded to Him, all of a sudden that boat will reach the shore. All of a sudden, what we were longing for spiritually in our lives, being at a sticking point for a long time, going through the motions with movements, but not according to the Spirit of God, man's movements, all of a sudden we'll see, as I recall right at this moment, We had a gentleman come to the church, must be a year and a half now ago, and he was a leader, and he told me, almost at our first conversation, he said, every place I go, I cannot avoid this. I said, what's that? Every place I go, every Christian organization and church, he said instantly they want me to be a leader. They want to make me a leader. And I kept listening, and he said, I'm a leader right now. A leader in the church that he attended. And he was visiting here. Because he had heard of a genuine miracle when the doctors said it was impossible. It was actually his relative. And that drew him to come and see, but unfortunately, he was into himself and he said, you know, I'm doing this and that at the place I'm ministering. And he was a slave to sin. Virtually all his life and being drafted everywhere he goes, he says, to be a leader. And he actually was a leader. Maybe still is in that place. Steeped in sin. Many of the vices that trap people today, including alcohol and immorality, steeped in it, but leading the church. And furthermore, this same individual confessed to myself and Pastor Kirba. Pastor Kurba was leading worship that day. He said, the Spirit of God did so much in me I can't even begin to tell you 20 different things he spoke to me I'm under heavy conviction and that's where it stood and he was back into more sense. he left you think imagine if Nathaniel did that or Philip it's fascinating I mean he does more than John the Baptist but we have to go back into sin. It's unthinkable, but it happens far too often and we care to admit most people. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. Isn't that wonderful? How the Lord just keeps leading them on into greater possibilities of the supernatural. Hallelujah. He said, you think this is something? I have a lot more for you. And he said to him, most assuredly, I'm telling you certainly with that question, that after this, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Maybe long and hunger and thirst and say, Lord, I'm not happy. I'm happy, but not happy. How? Not some spiritual schizophrenia. But it's the actual proper state of a person who really loves God and is following God. I'm so happy. Lord, you've brought me to where I'm at to really understand what it means to follow you, to adore you, have you as the Lord of my life. I'm so happy. God, you've come and changed so many things in my life. I'm so happy. Lord, I'm not happy if I sit still and talk about yesterday's glory. I want what you have for me today and tomorrow and I want to get everything you have for me Lord I want to move with you hallelujah there's a lot of struggle for the Israelites in the wilderness because of their stubbornness and evil but one thing they did was they moved when they saw that pillar of cloud move And although the entire old generation got wiped out, because they kept moving, the second generation got to the point where Joshua finally took them into the promised land. There's never any such thing as a static Christian. It's really true. If we're not going forward with God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness and saying, Lord, more of your glory. Lord, change me. Help me to stop whining. Stop being so smug and defend my spirituality when you're telling me a lot of things need to change. When you want to fill me to overflowing, help me to stop being proud and say things in private and public to make me look good. I'm tired of that. Lord, tell me exactly how you see me. Change me. Fill me to overflowing, Lord. Make me something different. I can be a soul winner, Lord. And a real revival. Revivalist. If we're not going forward really true we're going backward. that's why again and again the spirit of God keeps emphasizing when the Lord says move we've got to move otherwise we will be left behind in confusion and compromise and chaos all over again Nathaniel moved Philip moved Peter moved all of them. And that's why they saw unprecedented miracles. They got to live with the Savior. Learn from Him. And be groomed by Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Their lives were never the same. And they finished their mission except for Judas. Judas. As we've read recently in Mark's Gospel, Peter's denial is so much hope for everyone, so long as we're not a Judas, where we come to try to deceive God Himself. But no such person is here this morning. I'm certain. But there are people who can identify with Peter and Andrew, James and John different temperaments, mistakes and failures. God said, I love you and use you to be like John the Baptist before I come again. To be like Peter, the apostle filled with the Holy Spirit. The potential is there for each one of us to have the entire nation at our doorstep so to speak in various capacities as part of the body of Christ to win all the souls that we're supposed to win according to the power that works in us that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think And so be it. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. The fiery preacher, John the Baptist, was preaching exactly word for word according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A tremendous conviction came, Lord, that never came before. All over the country. And Lord, there was a group prepared for your first Advent in a public ministry. And these men, Lord, you called because you wanted to reveal yourself in an intimate way, in a glorious way. And they wouldn't miss it for the world. Help us to be the same way. Walk with you and talk with you. practice the presence of God to expect God to speak to us in our day to day routine activities to know how to hear your voice Lord and not to think our imagination is your voice but by spending time in the word truly reading and learning and whatever we're taught retaining it meditating on it O oh Lord that a supernatural shift would take place on the inside of us. We thank you. Step by step. Day by day. For transforming us. We praise you Lord. We adore you. Because you're so good to us. I thank you Lord. I thank you Lord. I pray for those. Who are having a hard time with their families. Can't seem to get through to them. Father I pray that you cause faith to rise in their hearts. To keep pressing in in prayer and the presentation of the true gospel the way you want them to speak in love thank you Lord and those Lord who are struggling with personal sin help them to stop trying to evangelize and repent so that they don't end up in hell and then go and evangelize oh spirit of God Help us to do the things that please the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the healing hand of Jesus right now upon all those who are feeling some malady, Lord, some affliction, some discomfort. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Stretch forth your mighty hand, Lord. Give them healing so they can pursue the work you have for them by faith. Give them release, Lord, as they believe in you, Lord to be pain free oh father you don't enjoy seeing your children suffer even for one second but expect us to trust you when we call upon you that you will deliver us and thank you lord for your word is true and thank you lord thank you for the deliverance for every brother every sister who would believe who would believe the message that's been preached and believe the promise of God thank you lord hallelujah in Jesus' name, we praise you, Lord. We pray for the meeting, Lord, with the moms and the children, Lord. Make it a tremendous blessing, Lord, to each one, I pray. Guide the ones who will be instructing and guiding and facilitating the meetings. That the Spirit of God would be in the midst of your people, this church, every facet of ministry, Lord. And there's a transformation, I pray, everyone of all ages I thank you Lord for the various things you've set up for the training, the teaching, the discipling the shepherding the fellowship, the unity the blessing all glory be to the all wise God we thank you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name, Amen